The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, we're beginning a three-week series on money this morning, and if you're new or visiting, I just want to acknowledge that can be awkward, you know. Um, we don't always talk about money. In fact, as a church, we probably err on the, on the other end of that spectrum, and that's not healthy uh, either. The last time that we preached a series on giving, I think, was like eight years ago, okay? That's, that's not healthy because uh, don't we all know that money... Is very important. Money is very complex. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of it, right, the the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. (laughs) I've experienced that in my life, haven't you? Um along with uh along with that, we we if you're married, (laughs) money is a source of all kinds of conflict in marriage, isn't it? It can be. And, you know, if you pair money up with sex and actual conversations about parenting, it's among the topics, even as Christians, that we kind of seem to, like, avoid and don't really want to go deeply into sometimes. Um, But something else we have to acknowledge is the Bible has a lot to say about money. Jesus himself talked an awful lot uh, about money and wealth. And so it's okay if we give three Sunday mornings to it, right? Uh, Some of you might be thinking, oh, here it comes. See, I knew it. Aha! Doing that building campaign thing now. And I just knew it was a matter of time right before he's going to be preaching on money. And listen, that's certainly part of it. Uh, But also, what we do with money is so central to our walk with God that we can't avoid it. Even if we weren't in the middle of a building campaign. Um, see, what we're really talking about this morning and for the, for the next couple weeks after this morning is stewardship. Stewardship. That's what we've entitled this series, that, that we are stewards. We are. And, and listen, understanding stewardship is central to our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, a theology of stewardship it is really nothing less than an interpretation of the Christian meaning of life as a whole. In other words, how you understand life, the Christian life, manifests itself in stewardship. And, and I want to begin this series with, with a, a biblical concept, actually, that precedes stewardship. It informs our stewardship, and that is the biblical concept of ownership. Ownership. See, if we don't understand ownership biblically, we'll never understand stewardship biblically. Ownership is the place to begin, and and one of the very best places to to see ownership in the Scriptures is at the end of the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles. Go ahead and turn there with me. I'll give you a minute to find it. Might be a little while since you've read 1 Chronicles. Um, If you're you're in your Bible and you you kind of open up to the middle, you got the Psalms, and then 1 Chronicles is to the left of the Psalms. It's to the left of Job. Comes after 1 and 2 Kings. First Chronicles. It's page 356 in my Bible and in the Pew Bibles there. First Chronicles. And at the very end of it, chapter 29. Are we there? 
First Chronicles 29, and, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18. That's what Kaylee just read a minute ago, but first, let, let me just give you a little bit of context. Um, the, the temple is about to be constructed. That's where we're at in the story of God's Old Testament people. Okay, Kingly rule is about to pass from King David to his son Solomon. Okay, if you know the story, you know that David, he had desired to, to build God a temple, but God told him, no, your son Solomon is going to be the one who builds the temple. And the first part of 1 Chronicles 29, then, is all about how David made preparations for the construction project. Isn't it funny that David didn't just say, fine, God, we'll just let Solomon do it? David, instead, he got to work after that no, saving up, storing up, making all kinds of preparations to make sure that the next generation succeeded. He's been saving up. He's been setting aside gold, silver, bronze, iron, stone, wood, using his position as king to store up kingdom resources for this very special project. He's also putting in his own money. You see this if you read the rest of the chapter. He's, he's putting his own money where his mouth is. Or if we look at verse 3, he's actually putting his money where his heart is. He says it's because of his devotion that he gives to the house of God. Giving like this, it's a, it's a consecration, a setting part of yourself, he says in verse 5. And then in verses 6 through 9, we see everyone else respond. Everyone else gives joyfully, we're told, willingly, with their whole hearts, the people of God did. And then David prays, beginning in verse 10. He blesses the Lord in the presence of the assembly. He, he ascribes to God, look at it, greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty, might, rule. David here is, is framing his prayer around who God is. He's the greatest. He's the power. He's the glory. He's sovereign over all, rules over all. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, he says. You are exalted as head above all. And this is not insignificant when we talk about money. <laughs> this is not significant. This is not insignificant in the conversation about stewardship. No, it's foundational, it's, it's central. Okay, what, who you believe God to be, who you believe him to be, what you believe about him, it shapes everything about your life, including what you do with money. Do you believe that he is great? <laughs> do you believe that, that he really is glorious? Not just as an adjective, but almost like as a noun, that he is the most glorious Victorious, majestic, mighty, sovereign, good. If so, understanding biblical stewardship is easy. But if not, boy, it's hard. We'll struggle with this. But listen, it begins here with God, our creator God, the, the creator of everyone and everything. It begins here with us posturing ourselves before him like David postured himself before him in reverent awe and wonder and worship and devotion of who he is. And then from that posture of worship and devotion, David says, 
Everything is yours, God's. Everything is yours. This is the, the biblical concept of ownership right here, and David actually stresses it five times in this prayer. I, I want you to see all five. Verse 11, he, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for, look at this, all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. All of it. Everything. Skip down to verse 14. We see it twice in verse 14. But who am I? What is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you. Which things, church? Doesn't say some things, does it? It says all things. And, he adds, it's of your own that we have given you. Listen to what David is saying here. He's saying everything is God's. In fact, what we have given in our offerings, we've only given what is already yours. Another translation says, we have given you only what comes from your own hand. <laughs> Even our offering is yours, God. Because everything is. I mean, it's pretty clear, isn't it? Everything is God's, but just in case we're a little slow to pick up on it, he stresses it a fourth and a fifth time even in verse 16. Look at that. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from where? It comes from your hand. Not our hand. We've only given what's already yours. It comes from your hand. And, just to drive it home a fifth time, it is all your own. Everything is yours, David says. Five times here. Everything is God's. This is the biblical concept of ownership. And, and listen, th this concept, is, it's not just relegated to a, a random passage that you haven't read in years, hiding out here in First Chronicles, right? It's, it's all throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to creation, uh, or from Genesis and creation, right, where we see God create everything out of nothing. How does he do it? He creates it ex nihilo. You've heard the phrase, you break it, you buy it? Well, here's another one. You create it, you own it. <laughs> and God created everything, didn't he? Revelation 4. At the end of the scriptures, we're given a picture of worship happening around the throne of God. And what are the, the living creatures, the, the 24 elders, they're falling down. What are they saying before the throne? Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. Look at this church. From Genesis to Revelation, we see it. And everywhere in between. Exodus 19. You might remember Exodus 19, right before uh, God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Leviticus 25, verse 23, talking of the promised land, God tells his people, it's mine. The land is. The, the, the earth, the land, see? 
Or Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, Moses says to the Israelites, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Listen, even your ability to get a paycheck, to gain wealth, that's God too. That's his. Psalm 24, verse 1 is a great summary of this biblical truth where, where David says, I learned it in the, in the NIV. David says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who dwell in it. That includes you and me. Look at it. That includes you and me. It includes everyone, everywhere, everything. <laughs> it's the most encompassing, all-encompassing scripture capturing the ownership of God that we have. David doesn't say, I mean, you check your translation in your lap there, but David doesn't say, the earth, the earth is the Lord's and some of the things in it. The world and some of the people who dwell in it. No, it's all his. All of it. Psalm 50, 50 verse 10 says, Every beast of the forest is mine. The, the cattle on a thousand hills. So your cats are included in this now. Your, your guinea pigs, your dogs, all the animals. Haggai 2 verse 8. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Or even James in the New Testament. 117. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Church from beginning to end and everywhere in between. The scriptures are extremely clear. Everything is God's. I mean, this building, it's his. The, the pew that you're sitting in right now, it's his. The, the, the car that you drove on, on your way here this morning, I know you think it's yours. It's not yours. It's his. The trees that you passed, the rain last night, it's all his. When you leave here today, this neighborhood is his. If you don't live in this neighborhood, you drive back into your own neighborhood. Your neighborhood is his. This city is his. Your house is his. Your job is his. Your power, your ability to make money is his. Your savings account is his. Your retirement account is too. And listen, moms, I know it's Mother's Day, but your kids are his. They've been entrusted to you, but they're his. Your tax refund, those stimulus checks, they're his. Your giving, your tithes, your offerings, it's all his. Listen to me, your, your life is his. That's true for everyone everywhere. Remember, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all who dwell in it. Your life is his, but that's also uniquely true for Christians. You're not your own. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. If you're a Christian, listen, even your faith, <laughs> even your salvation is his. Ephesians 2, verse 8, you have been saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It was a gift. 
Everything is God's. And boy, this runs 100% counterculture, doesn't it? I mean, this is absolutely the opposite of how our culture thinks about things and stuff. Our culture thinks about mine, 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 more, 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 for me, me, me. Our culture says work hard, earn lots, enjoy it all, money and possessions. That's the path towards happiness. That's the path towards a carefree life. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Store it up, impress others. You know, flex your flash, get your cash. Money, 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 money. Our commercials, they're these little 30-second demons of discontent, aren't they? They scream, you need more. And now we got all these job posting boards also. They scream, you can get more. Start comparing your salary to what else, what could I get out there? I could get more, more, more for me, 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 so that it can be mine, mine, mine. But the Bible teaches us None of it is yours. Even if you get more, it's not yours. None of it is mine. Everything is God's. Now, listen, if everything is God's, there are all kinds of implications to that. I want to present us with three this morning. Number one, if everything is God's, then we are stewards. We're not owners. Everything is God's. He owns everything. Remember what I said earlier? If we don't understand ownership, we'll never understand stewardship. Well, now we know something about biblical ownership, that it's all his. The implication, then, is that we're not owners. We're stewards. You know, there's a a story told of old John Wesley. Uh, He was the 18th century Methodist evangelist. Uh, there's a story told where one day he was, he was out somewhere evangelizing or whatever, and, and somebody rode up on a horse next to him looking kind of panicked and all this, and they, they said, they, they shout out to him when they see him, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned down. To which Wesley thought for a moment and then calmly replied, no, the Lord's house has burned down. That means one less responsibility for me. Now, that's not denial. Okay, that's, a, that's a bold, even if we might think it's crazy, it is a bold affirmation of God's ownership and our stewardship. When you and I think like owners, that's when the trouble comes in. More money, more problems. We hold on to things. We hold on to stuff so tight that if it's taken away, we're crushed. We're doomed. If it's threatened, we're threatened. Our identity gets enmeshed in it. We, we begin to live as if we are what we have. And if what we have then comes into jeopardy, we do as well. Do you see how that's different than saying, <laughs> everything I have is yours? Like the... Like Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we are not owners, we're stewards. And a steward, it, it, that's not an action, right? It, I hope you see it's an identity. Stewarding is not something, first and foremost, that we simply do. It's who we are when we understand God's ownership of things. When you understand that you yourself belong to him, that your very life is his, then and only then will you truly live as a steward. Stewarding not just your money. God's not interested in you just stewarding your money. We're talking about stewarding your life for his glory. What is a steward exactly? Let me put it plainly. A a steward is someone who manages assets for the owner's benefit. Let me say that again. A steward is someone who manages assets for the owner's benefit. You and I are God's asset managers. (laughs) We are his investment managers. What you have, everything you have, is his And he's given it to you to manage, not ultimately for your benefit, though you will certainly benefit, but ultimately it's been given to you to manage, to steward for his benefit, for his glory. You begin to see why I said earlier that a theology of stewardship is really nothing less than an interpretation of the Christian meaning of life as a whole. What is the Christian meaning of life? What is our purpose, our chief end? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever, isn't it? Your practical theology of stewardship then, how you actually live as a steward, is a real-time interpretation and implementation of what you believe about the meaning of life. Everything is God's. You and I are stewards. Everything you have has been given to you to manage for God's glory and your joy. And those two things, I I wish that I could just somehow make you understand this morning, those two things do not contradict each other. His glory and your joy. Rather, they go hand in hand because you experience the most amount of joy when you're glorifying him. That's how he designed the world to work. Everything is God's. Implication number one, we are stewards. Implication number two, if everything is God's, we are to ask him how to use it. Let's talk more squarely about your money this time. God cares what you do with the money that he entrusts to you. Why wouldn't he? It's his. This doesn't mean you can't spend any of it on things that that create a a reasonable standard of living. I'm not preaching poverty theology here, right? But it does mean that we ought to be men and women who prayerfully read the scriptures to learn and to ask the Lord and even other mature Christians around us, "How, how am I to use what he's entrusted to me? Look, God desires for us to be generous, with what he's entrusted to us, giving to the local church, giving to those in need, giving to the cause of the gospel and the advancement of the church and his kingdom. 
and it's unfortunate but true, that much of American Christianity has tended to believe that being generous is a matter of convenience, not a matter of obedience. We, we tend to treat giving as a matter of convenience, and therefore we give to the church and the causes of the gospel out of what religious sociologist Christian Smith calls discretionary obligation. What a phrase. In other words, many of us believe that we should give generously to the kingdom. We know it in our heads. And yet at the same time, we feel completely free to give at our own discretion. Giving only what we want to, when we want to, after we've done everything else we really want to with our money. That's not biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship understands instead that everything is God's and we are to ask him how to use it. We don't decide for ourselves. We don't relegate giving to the church, for example, into the realm of discretionary obligation. Listen, God isn't interested in a bunch of dispassionate philanthropists. He loves a cheerful giver. He wants his greatness, his power, his glory and victory and majesty and might so ruling in your heart and life, but you can't help but give along the lines of how he desires for you to give. Remember David back in 1 Chronicles 29? He, he, he didn't just give of the resources entrusted to him positionally as king. No, he gave personally to the building of the temple. Out of the treasure of his own, it says, his very own gold and silver. Why? Because of my devotion to the house of my God. Devotion to God. That's why. How you use the money that God has entrusted to you reveals your devotion to God. That's got nothing to do with amount, okay? We don't have levels of giving around here or anything like that. You don't get a plaque, you don't get a brick, you don't get with your name on it, nothing like that. But it is to say that until Jesus is first in your finances, Jesus isn't first in your life. Everything is his. And therefore, we are to ask him how to use it. And then implication number three, if everything is God's, we are to ask him before we use it. It's not that much different than the prior implication, I know. Okay, but I think it's an important emphasis. When was the last time you prayed over your paycheck? I'm preaching to myself now. I mean, when, we don't even see paychecks anymore. They just show up in our account. Didn't even have a chance to pray for it. Which day did it even come in? I don't remember. When was the last time you prayed over your paycheck when you sat down on the first of the month or whenever it is that you do get paid and said, Lord, all of this is yours. Like, I'm about to spend it. And so would you guide me in spending it according to your will? 
Would you cultivate in me a spirit of generosity? It doesn't mean that you don't invest or save some of it, but Lord, I want to see your face. I want to seek your will. Guide me, Holy Spirit. Set my financial priorities according to your word. Guard me from unnecessarily storing up. Guard me from greed. Guard me from spending more than I have and going into debt. Guard me from spending just to spend on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Guard me from giving out of a, a sense of discretionary obligation and instead grow in me a sense of reverence and awe over you and help me to use all that you have entrusted to me as your steward for your glory. Church, your money is not your own. It's God's. Everything is his. Your very life is his. You are not your own, but belong to God. You are bought with a price, the price of our Lord Jesus, whom though he was rich, the scriptures say, yet for your sake became poor. He gave up everything. We're not talking about money anymore, are we? He gave up everything, his very life, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Not in worldly wealth, but rich with every spiritual blessing. And listen, when that truth settles into the bank account of your soul, when that deposit clears... The response is surrendered, Jesus-exalting, God-glorifying, Holy Spirit-empowered stewardship. Everything is God's church. We are stewards. Let's pray. Father, Would you help us now to surrender to this truth? Not in a way that heaps guilt upon us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, if anyone in this room right now is experiencing guilt, help them to discern the difference between guilt and conviction by your Holy Spirit. There's no reason for any of us to walk out of here with guilt. Encourage and empower us, Lord, instead, by your Spirit. Today can be day one. We begin to, baby steps, learn how to grow in being stewards. For others of us, Lord, we have known this truth for a very long time. And your Spirit is telling us right now, (laughs) you don't need any more information. It's time to put it in practice. Lord, help our hearts catch up with our heads. Everything is yours, not ours. All we have is yours. 
Help us to steward it for your glory, not just our money, but our very lives, which you purchased by the blood of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.